G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus wants you to stop worrying that you're not going home because he became the scapegoat. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue The King Has Come in our Advent series. Advent meaning the arrival of Christ. And as Christians, we celebrate His birth and await His return from preparing a place for us in eternity. You know why you shouldn't worry that you're going home? The scapegoat took your sins and ran outside into the wilderness. And because He ran outside into the wilderness, you now can come home. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the conclusion of The King Has Come. Christ will come to take you to that place that you know in your heart exists because you long for it and you are discontent because you were never meant to set your tent up here for eternity. But entrance into the Father's insula is exclusive. And we don't like that. We're people of inclusivity. Now think about this for a minute. On the one hand... Please stay with me. We're putting these pieces together. On the one hand, okay, there's exile. (laughs) We're lost. We feel isolation. There's something not quite right. On the other hand, Jesus said, don't worry. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Man, it's a done deal. I'm going to prepare a place. I got plenty of mansions in this house. And I'm going to come and get you so that you may be where I also am. But the problem is we know down deep inside, wait a minute. I thought we were exiled because we violated the promises of God because we've not gone the way of God. We've gone our own way and we still do it every day. So that's why in you there's a tension. There's a tension. Okay, I think I know the house exists, but I'm not sure to tell you the truth, Pastor Jeff, that I'm going. That's why I feel exiled and isolated. In fact, Isaiah, the Messianic prophecy, verse 10 says, only the redeemed will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return. That's a Hebrew word for exile. Only those the Lord has rescued will come out of exile and bondage and come home. Now here's the third snapshot. It's the one that will bring it all together. You okay? I got you. Okay, third snapshot. Yom Kippur, the second feast of the Hebrews in the fall of the year. Literally, Yom Kippur means day of covering. Actually, actually, Kippur means uh, ransom. Once a year, the priest would go into the temple representing all of the people of God and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, the day of atonement. Once a year, all the sins gathered up And if you read how this worked, there is some humor in the Levitical code here because what you would find is the priest would go in, they would tie a string to him in case he died while he was in there and they could drag him out because they were terrified that the priest would go to sacrifice and their sin was so great that God would strike him dead and that would be a sign that God is coming after you. So they actually tied a string to the dude. And when he would come out, they would rejoice. Oh, our sins are forgiven for another year. Thank God we're safe. 
Now, the priest would dress up in white garments and would bathe himself in ceremonial cleansing before he went into the presence of God. And then in Leviticus, we're told that first he would offer a sacrifice on his own behalf. You see, I've said this numerous times. That's why a mere man can't die for your sins because a mere man has to die for his own sins. It takes the God-man to die for you. Only God could die for us, not a mere man. And so the priest would cast lots on two goats. One would fall on one goat. The other would fall on the other goat. The one goat he would sacrifice for the sins of the people. Guess what he would do with the second goat? In other words, he would transfer the sin on the one goat and the sins would be sacrificed on the goat. The other goat he would send out, they would kick out, chase out. Humorous scene. Can you imagine everybody chasing to get the goat to go out into the wilderness? They would tie a scarlet or red rope around the sanctuary door and around the head of the goat. And when the goat reached the wilderness, then miraculously the rope would change from red to white is a sign that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Now, Jesus wants you to stop worrying that you're not going home because he became the scapegoat. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that? Because he was exiled so that you and I could come home. He was abandoned so that you and I would never have to be. He left his home so you and I would never be homeless. I want you to think about it. Do you know there is a story in uh, Josephus, who's a first century historian, not a Christ follower, but a Jewish historian. He talks about how if you think about the life of God, he became homeless, the life of Christ. He was crucified outside the city, out in Golgotha. He was born outside of, of humanity and, and civilization in a, in a cave in a stable. And then he was cast outside on the cross. Josephus says that the first Yom Kippur after the crucifixion, the first Yom Kippur after the crucifixion, when they sent the scapegoat out into the wilderness, the rope did not turn white. The oral tradition is strong. Why? Because it's no longer a goat that forgives your sins. It's a lamb. John said, when he saw Jesus, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you understand? You know why you shouldn't worry that you're going home? Because it doesn't depend on you. The scapegoat took your sins and ran outside into the wilderness. And because he ran outside into the wilderness, you now can come home. But you say, wait a minute, that passage you read earlier, Jeff, I know you think I don't listen, but I was listening. And it says in Isaiah 35 verse four, be strong, do not fear, your God will come and he will come with vengeance and divine retribution and he will save you. Wait a minute, that's an oxymoron. I mean, he comes with vengeance, he's angry and retribution, yet he's gonna save me? You said we're the objects of God's wrath because we have sinned against him. Yes, but Christ satisfied the righteousness of God. Remember, there are two ways to be righteous. Keep the law perfectly or pay the penalty for breaking it. None of you or me can keep the law perfectly and we don't want to pay the penalty for breaking it because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus took your sin and mine and satisfied the righteousness of God 
by paying the penalty that your sin and my sin deserved so that when he returns, he comes in retribution, but what he defeats is death and darkness and pain and suffering and evil while at the same time saving you. This is Today with Jeff Vines. His message is the King has come and we're being reminded where our real home is and how that should affect our daily life. Here's Pastor Jeff. Here's the thing that pastors go through all the time when they preach a sermon like this, okay? Here's what they think. Well, Pastor Jeff, you just told everybody, it doesn't matter how they live, what they do, because Christ has, he's the scapegoat. He took their sin. Wait, see, when you start thinking like that, that shows me you don't get the gospel. Because the gospel is this. For the person who recognizes what God was willing to do to make you his treasure, you'll do the same to make him yours. And you'll, listen, you'll start, you'll start obeying him, not out of fear that you're going to lose your home. That covers by grace. You start obeying him because you trust him because anybody that would give his life for you is trustworthy. Amen. And so that tells me three things quickly. Number one, you have to handle yourself roughly. The problem with that is we're told in America to coddle ourselves. We are a coddling nation. You're going to have to rough yourself up. You're going to have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck. Do you know why? Because your tendency is going to set your tent here. You're going to have the temptation to say, to settle and to say, this is all there is. And if you do that, you're going to kill your soul day after day. I'm not talking about annihilation or destruction. I'm talking about the death of who you are, the discontent, the fear, the isolation, the exile, the anxiety, the depression. All of it is wrapped up because your soul knows what you're living for. So you got to remind yourself, wait a minute. I mean, can I ask you, are you on the wrong path, man? I mean, what are you living for, really? What, what, what are you all about? What are you passionate about? What drives you? What motivates you? Is it bigger houses, bigger cars, a beach house here, a, be, a, a mountain house? What, what is it you get up in the morning and say, man, this is why I live? It should be your first move is to watch and to wait and to say, maybe today is the day. And then to structure your life as if today is the day. And that in itself will bring your soul alive. Because you know one day you're going home. Second thing you got to do, you got you to be willing to be rejected. But we're taught to pursue acceptance. Your faith has to be public, but we're told it should be private. And the risk of rejection is very high in Los Angeles. But Jesus was rejected because he identified with you. And if you identify with him, you're going to be rejected. If nobody knows that you're a Christ follower, you got issues, man. I'm telling you, if nobody knows you, if you're a closet, there's no such thing. There is no such thing. If people don't know that you are so grateful for God because of what you have in Christ, you and I need to talk. Yes, amen. Or you need to talk to somebody. Because when you... When you realize what God did to make you his treasure, he will become yours. And it'll be the most important thing you talk about. Now, you're not obnoxious, but it, there'll be a love in you that the world cannot deny. There'll be a peace in you that passes all understanding even when your life is falling apart. So it's not like, great, Jeff just gave me the get out of jail free card. All I got to do is give Jesus my sins and I'll go live my own life. Then you don't get the gospel. You don't get the gospel. Maybe the real story is that you really are not convinced that God came down in Emmanuel. And you're not really sure that this home is real and that one day he's coming back because it's been too long. 
And finally, you've got to be willing to admit your tendency to set your tent in the wrong places. Stay with me. This is the end. Your tendency is going to be to put a tent up in something. And you're going to say, this is, this is the thing I've been looking for. Oh, man, if I can just get to here. Man, when I get there, I know that's what I've been looking for. Now I know I'm going to be happy and at peace. And man, are you going to be disappointed? My wife thought when she married me that her life would be perfect and I was the answer to all her problems. <laughs> and although she was right, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah, she knows better than that. Let me try to illustrate it with a small little story and then I'm done. Uh, I've told this story before. It's so powerful. I told it yesterday at uh, graduation. John Ortberg and I have something in common. Uh, John Ortberg is a fantastic preacher up in Silicon Valley. That's not what we have in common. What we have in common is we both played Monopoly with our grandmothers. I remember when I read his story in the early 90s, how uncanny it was because my grandmother loved Monopoly. She, she wasn't very well educated, and, but she loved playing games. She loved watching TV, especially game shows. And my parents would drop me off at my grandmother's house. And as soon as my grandmother saw me coming up the driveway, she would go and get the Monopoly board out of the closet. She could not wait to play Monopoly with her grandson. But she was evil. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, my grandmother was E-V-I... When she got that Monopoly board, she was transformed into something that was from another world. I mean, you could just see her. She would take those false teeth out and slam them down on the table. And I'm going to get you, boy. And I thought, it's kind of scared me a little bit, you know? And she'd take out the board and put those places on. And she says, I'm the car. And she'd slam the car down on it because I'm going to run all over you. And she'd start rolling the dice. And I didn't know how to play Monopoly. I was only like 12 or 13. My parents didn't play a lot of Monopoly. And so she would buy everything. And I wasn't a risk taker. You can't win a Monopoly like that. She would buy, she would own everything, absolutely everything. And she's, she, you, you've heard of bad losers. She was a bad winner, man. She would just rub it in the whole time. You're going down, you're going down, you're going down. I got it all. I, and it's kind of like possession. Oh, I got it all. It was weird. And then I'd get to the end of the game where I wouldn't have any money and I would ask for a loan from the bank, which if you're playing with nice people, sometimes they'll give you a loan. And I would ask her for a loan and she'd go, forget it. You're going down. And man, it was like, I was scared, you know, and then those false teeth would come back in, ah, chomping you up. And then I'd be out of money, I'd lose the game. She would slam the board back down. But then as soon as the stuff went back into the board, she changed again. It was incredible. She'd say, hey, you want me to make you some uh, dinner? <laughs> no, I'll skip the arsenic dessert. Thank you very much. I mean, now, a couple years went by and I went to basketball camp. And one year of basketball camp, one year we spent, I basically spent eight weeks in basketball camp. And during those eight weeks, we played Monopoly. The guys, two of the guys on our team brought a Monopoly board and we played a lot of Monopoly and I learned to play Monopoly. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was great at it, but I learned, hey, you got to buy a park place and boardwalk. If you get a chance, you got to buy it. You got to put hotels up. You can't be conservative. Buy a buy because sooner people will land on you, you'll start making money. So I came home that fall <laughs> to grandma's house. I walked up the stairs and into her house. She said, hey, welcome. Good to see you, Jeff. Good to see you, Grandma. Where's the Monopoly board? You want to play Monopoly? 
Yeah. Okay, I'll get the board. <laughs> Immediately she transforms, she gets the board, she puts all the pieces out. This time though was different. Man, I was rolling the dice. I was buying up everything. I owned the railways. I owned Boardwalk and Park Place. I even owned the jail. I owned everything. <laughs> it was a tribute to my ownership. And she landed on, I can't remember what it was she landed on, but I looked at it and I, know, I knew she didn't have enough money. Do you know she had the gall to ask me for a loan? <laughs> Forget it, Grandma. You're going down. And she went down. And I was so happy. And then she put all the pieces back in the board. Now, I wish my story was as good as John Ortberg's because when my grandmother put the pieces, she just simply would say this, you can't spend it. But John Ortberg's grandmother had a much better line. She said to him, it all goes back into the box. And he built an entire sermon on that one phrase, it all goes back into the box. Wrote a book called, it all goes back into the box. And that's exactly what's gonna happen to you. They're going to put you in a box one day and everything that you've built and earned is going to go in there with you. All of it. And the only thing that's going to last is this insula and this place that's been built for you. And I don't think it's a literal mansion. or lit We're not talking about structure. We're talking about home is with the Father. And everything that you've ever wanted, that place that you know you lost, he's coming back to take you there. Because your soul, and now deep inside, you know again that you are simply yourself and you're incarcerated in the flesh. The flesh is not the real you. The real you is inside that. And that is what's going to reconnect with God for all those who call on his name and for all of those who say, I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait and I'm going to be faithful until the Lord comes. Do you know why? Do you know why? I, I, there's a lot of reasons I don't want to miss this. But perhaps one of the primary ones is that I miss my mom and my dad. And I lost them when I was too young to lose my parents. But I know where they are. And I know I'm going to see them. And that will be the greatest Christmas ever. Amen. Don't miss out. And if you're spiritually wondering and you're in the wilderness, man, come back home come in heaven's name. What on earth do you think you're going to get out of this planet? <laughs> what? Yeah, you're going to have some times of enjoyment and marriage. and Yeah, you'll, those are good things, not bad. But ultimately, everything goes back into the box. Everything. Except your soul. And hopefully that will go to God. Depending on if you're watching and you're waiting, and you're remaining faithful. Father, I pray for this people in Jesus' name. I pray that we would have woken up just now, that something would have happened, our eyes just, we get it now, we get it. Man, it's all going into the box. If we're walking away from you, if we're spiritual wonders, if we're if we've never personalized this and made you our Savior and Lord, then we're not watching and waiting and driven by the kingdom of God. I pray there'd be massive repentance on this campus, on Etiwanda campus and Lone Hill. There would be major repentance and they would have the courage to walk up to a decision counselor after 
or up to a pastor, whether it be JP or Jeff Snodgrass or whoever's in front or Brian, they'd walk up and say, I want to, I want to come home. I've been wondering too often. I don't know how it's going to start. I don't know how it looks like, but I need to come home. Help me come home. And I pray there would be a great returning home. My prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of The King Has Come, a great reminder to watch and wait for Jesus to come again. Please join us next time for a brand new message in our Advent series about the links between Babylon, Bethlehem and baptism. To hear more from Pastor Jeff, you can head to vision.org.au and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.